meal, for some, is simply food to ingest. For others, it is time to connect with friends and family. But for Jesus, it was an occasion to demonstrate the character of God in surprising ways. It was in the context of a meal that Jesus showed us his heart while others sat around a table with him. You're invited to pull up a chair and prepare to experience Jesus, the dinner guest, sitting across the table as you witness the extraordinary. Because when Jesus came to dinner, it was always more than a meal. All right, good welcome. I just said good welcome. That's awesome. Good morning and welcome. Combined together, make good welcome. Can you say that back? Good welcome. This is awesome. We're making up words today. This is so good. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. We are so glad that you are spending Easter Sunday with us. Thank you for celebrating Jesus' resurrection together in community, and we are so glad that you are here. It's been a great morning already, and we know that you have lots of plans today, but today, just even in this service, we want to just focus. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job they have done today. Just appreciate all the preparation and energy that goes into that. I have a friend, by the way, who's just been killing it today. I don't know if Dan, or is Dan Flaming in the room? Where's Dan at? So Dan has been working with all of our ushers and greeters, helping you actually find a seat. Can we thank Dan and his team? They've been doing a great job. A lot of you who are normally here at the second or third hour, people came today to the first hour, and it was awesome. We were packed to the room, and uh, it was great to see people thinking missionally and thinking, hey, I want to give up a seat. And I'm glad they did. You wouldn't have a seat this hour if they showed up when they normally do. So we're really grateful for you and grateful for the opportunity to get to celebrate Jesus's resurrection today. You saw it on the sign on the way in today, and that's exactly what today's about. You have a Trinity this week. Inside of it, you have a sheet that looks like this. If you want to get that out, taking notes during the message helps kind of us stay on track a little bit, something to also look back on during the week. And if you have a Bible today, we're going to be open to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Now, Luke wouldn't be a new book for us in the last few weeks. If you're a guest with us today, we want to especially welcome you and thank you for joining us. We've been working through a series. This is our last Sunday in this series called More Than a Meal. And within it, what we've been talking about is every narrative we've been looking at in the book of Luke over the last few weeks has two things in common, Jesus and food. That is where I want to be with Jesus around a table. And so uh, even though those two things are the same every week, the environments are always different. So whether it be Jesus interacting uh, with the poor, whether it be Jesus interacting with people that were incredibly hated by their community, whether it be Jesus interacting with the religious elite, Jesus's situation was changing, but those two things were always true. And what was this case is that in that shared experience over a meal, Jesus always shared the heart of God. And that's what we're going to look at one more time today as we finish this series is hearing, understanding, experiencing the heart of God in all of all places over a meal. So we're really glad that you came to join us today. Now, it's interesting, today's date, you know, Easter moves around on our calendar quite a bit, but today it actually lands on April 1st, April Fool's. And there are people who would say today that um, those, actually those dates have aligned pretty well. They would say that celebrating Jesus' resurrection is a lot like engaging any other kind of myth and maybe even could be detrimental for people to believe things that aren't true. 
But I would say this today, a quote that I came across back in college that has stuck with me for so long. Take a look on the screen. Jim Elliott, one of those who just demonstrated Jesus so well, not just here in the States, but as a cross-cultural missionary to the Arauca, Warani people in the Amazon jungle of Ecuador. This is what he said when he was in college. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The true foolishness would be holding on to a life that we think we can control, that we think we can master, when instead saying, Jesus, I surrender my control over me, thinking I ever had it. And instead, I want to lean into your design for my life. I want to follow you, and I want to see someday the life that you have promised me from the beginning. So we're talking today about that kind of thoughtfulness and the idea that we say, you know, this is not a fool's day by any stretch of the imagination. This is the day that changed everything. And we are so excited to get to look into God's word together with you today. As we um, consider today on this Resurrection Sunday, in my mind, as I was kind of preparing to be with you today, I, I thought about us in groups of three. Generally speaking, all of us in this room today, we kind of fit into one of three types of groups as we come to this day and experience Jesus' resurrection. For some, there would be here today that would say, you know, I'm just not sure. I wouldn't go so far to say this is a fool's day, but on the other hand, I just don't know about these claims of, of someone raising from the dead. I want to tell you, if that's who you are and you're here today, you are so welcome. We are so glad you're here. And this is the, the, the plea I guess I would make for you today, is that you would have a posture of openness. You would have a posture of openness to hear what the word of God says about the risen son of God and allow the word of God to speak to you. Because here's the thing that even Jesus said, that when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. We're just going to present the truth of God's word today. So I just ask you to have an, a posture of openness to it. Others of you are here today, and it's not so much a question of, do you believe in the risen Jesus? It's maybe in a weird way, a question of, does he believe in me? Maybe you had put your faith in Jesus a long time ago, but through circumstances and decisions you made in your life, you've turned your back on him. It was a hard thing to come today, kind of wondering, am I even welcome? Now, you felt very welcomed by the people of Trinity already, I have no doubt. But in your own soul, is this a place I can be today? And is it even awkward coming to a place where I, I, it's not that I don't believe in Jesus. I just have not been walking with him. I've not followed him for a long time. Can I tell you, if that's you and you're here today, welcome. And welcome to the fact that as we look today in God's word, we're going to see an encounter that one of Jesus's disciples had who had turned his back on Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus's response that of restoring that relationship, that of reaching out to him, that of welcoming him back. So I want you to know there is good news for you today. For those that are here today and you're saying, Todd, I, I just can't wait. I, I want to have this faith of mine, this confidence I have in putting one foot in front of the next following Jesus. I want it to come to fruition. I want to be with him. I have great news for you today. That's where we're headed. And that's the celebration that is awaiting us. And the simple question to you is, are you preparing? Are you readying yourself? So those are our audiences. That's what we're looking at. We'll look at three different meals today that you don't want to miss. All of them relate to a time with Jesus around the table. Here is our now what idea, something we share every week about what am I supposed to do with this truth this week? 
on the screens and in your notes because Jesus conquered death. He has a meal waiting for you. Number one in our notes today, take a look. If you're seeking Jesus, look for him in his book, the Bible. If you're seeking Jesus, look for him in his book, the Bible. That's the place we go to look. You're in Luke 24. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Make your way to verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, he asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem or to save Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our people amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him saying, strongly saying, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, and watched this line, were not our hearts burning within us? While, we t- while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, they got up, left the meal, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus has, was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is one of my favorite narratives of the resurrection. And you get the irony of it, these Two followers of Jesus, it calls them disciples, maybe not one of the two of the 12, but disciples are making their way back to a town called Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. And the town has been a buzz all weekend long. That's all anyone was aware of, all anyone was talking about. And as they're downcast and downtrodden, Jesus meets them. And they begin to tell him this story as though, and they ask him, how do you not know this? Everybody is aware of the events that have happened this weekend, but they begin to recount them. And they say, eyewitnesses of these events say Jesus was handed over to be crucified. This same Jesus that we had hoped would redeem, another way of saying that was Messiah. We had hoped he was the one to come and save Israel, but they handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. He's dead. And then the wildest thing happened. It's been three days. His tomb is empty, but we cannot find the body. We don't know what to think of all these things. 
And then as Jesus walks with them, he begins to tell them about himself foretold generations ago in the Hebrew scriptures and what we call the Old Testament. And he walks them through these things, not just the fact that Messiah was foretold, but the suffering Messiah, that he would have to endure these realities before he would ever return to the Father in glory. And as he's opening their minds, they're listening but still don't get it. And then I think what's so profound, they sit at the table, they encourage Jesus, please come and stay with us, it's late. As he comes in, the guest becomes the host. He takes the bread, he gives thanks, he rips it very much like we talked about a few weeks ago when Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. He took it, he gave thanks and began to break it and it multiplied in this case. In that moment, maybe those same disciples were there that day and saw those events and in that moment their eyes are open and they realize it's the risen Jesus who's been with us all along. He disappears, he's gone And I love that phrase, we're not our hearts burning within us. We weren't aware it was him, but we knew we were hearing something we'd never heard or understood before. And then they hightail it back. Dinner is set aside. And and we talked about that. It even gave us the mileage. Seven miles from Emmaus back, they just walked that entire distance. I'm not good at math, but that seems like now another seven back, they're gonna do 14 miles. And they didn't walk back, they ran. For those of us who are not in the habit of running, That would be exhausting. Seven miles is no short trip. But the joy bursting in their hearts, they sprinted back to Jerusalem to tell everyone, this Jesus is indeed alive. So we see this narrative and we see, and again, the interesting thing is, at what point did they recognize it was Jesus? It was when he broke the bread. While they were having a meal. Verses 25 through 27 are so important for our understanding that Jesus had said all along that I would suffer. The Old Testament had said way before he ever showed up that this Messiah was going to go through challenges before he was ever going to be rightly received back to the Father. We had this great privilege. Many of you were with us on Thursday night for a Seder meal, and Susan Perlman just did an amazing job helping us understand parts of the Passover meal and she comes from an organization she helped start it 45 years ago called Jews for Jesus. I was on their website this week, and here's some of the verses that Jesus was probably sharing with these two. It's kind of wild to think about. These are the passages from this Hebrew scriptures, this Old Testament, that Jesus was probably sharing with them on the road, on, on the screen. Psalm 22 foretold that Messiah would be forsaken, pierced, and vindicated. Isaiah 52 and 53 foretold that Messiah would be a suffering servant. Psalm 118 foretold that Messiah would be the rejected cornerstone. Genesis 22, the very first book in the Bible, foretold that Messiah would be a willing sacrifice. Psalm 69 foretold that Messiah would be a righteous sufferer. Jeremiah 31 foretold that Messiah would be the object of a murderous plot. And Psalm 16 foretold that Messiah would be resurrected. You may be here today, and long before you ever walked into this service, there was an interest in your mind and in your heart. There was an interest to know why today you're in this congregation of people that are filled with joy, 
that are singing songs of great praise to God, what is it that they believe that I am not there yet? And in a weird way, you could imagine yourself today walking on the road to Emmaus. The events that have gone on this weekend, not like what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, but you are in a context. Your life is what it is going into today. And in that context, find yourself walking the road today. And the wild thing is that Jesus comes up alongside of you and simply says, I am who you've been looking for your whole life. That's what happened to these. And, and that sense of what they said, were our hearts not burning within us, I didn't even need to read those words and you have already recognized there is something up. And this is why. It's not so much about us choosing God, it's God choosing us. And the way that he draws us to himself, the way he gives us even a confidence to have faith in the first place, because it says this in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's this burning in your heart that you're experiencing. And when you become convinced, when you become convinced that Jesus is who the Bible communicates, portrays him to be, when you become convinced that your Christian friends who brought you here today believe something that you have been looking for your whole life, you will have a response like these two disciples did who couldn't wait to go and tell the people in their world, this is true. In a very small microcosm way, I had an experience about a week and a half ago of elated joy. And you're gonna laugh at my silly example, but walk with me. First off, you don't have to identify yourself because I don't want to humiliate anyone in the room, <clears throat> but I will humiliate myself. So if you're here today and you know you have crossed over, you know you have crossed over the threshold of when you cannot operate items of technology for yourself but need to ask your children and grandchildren to do so, that's me. No, you don't have to raise your hand. It's okay, but I do. And I always thought I was a little bit savvy all right, but I, I, so is what happened. So my son, uh, will tell you more about his wedding, but got married a week ago yesterday. And leading up to that, I was running crazy errands the Thursday before and, and, uh, and running around and doing things. Uh, at the evening, every night, I take my phone and my iPad and I just charge, plug them into charge. This very iPad right here. And on Thursday night, I couldn't find it anywhere, but we've been changing cars and I thought, well, I'll just look on Friday. Friday morning, I get up, aware that I don't have my iPad, look all over. I can't find it anywhere, in and out of cars, all over our house. And the only thing, you know, like you always do, where was the last place I saw it? The last place I saw it was in a shopping cart at Walmart. <laughs> last service, I said that, and someone groaned like really long over here. And I thought, is it, are you sad I lost my iPad or is it Walmart? I don't know which, you know, but... <laughs> One way or the other. So anyways, that's the only place. The last time that day I could remember having it was at Walmart. So my heart just sunk. I even went so far as to call them, you know, like, really? You're going to turn in an iPad? No. So, and there was nothing turned in. So that was Friday morning. Now, our kids' rehearsal was Thursday night. Great rehearsal, great dinner. And then we had all day Friday with his groomsmen. Jackson had asked me to be his best man. 
So we had this great opportunity to have fun that day. So I really said, God, I need to set this aside because it wasn't just the financial reality of buying a new iPad. My life is on that thing. And so I was just so bummed and just didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to bring it up, just wanted to, hey, we're here to focus. Let's have a great day with Jackson. So we go through some stuff in the morning. We have lunch together. We're on our our next leg driving towards Rancho. And as we're driving that direction, it just somehow comes out about being bummed that I I lost my iPad. Like I left it in the cart at Walmart. And and Jackson looks at me and he goes, okay, well, have you tried to look for it? Like I looked everywhere. He's like, no, no. Have you tried to look for it on your phone? I said, what forms of magic are you referring to? You know? So he has his iPhone and he pulls up this app, find your iPhone. And um, he's looking at it and he just types in and he goes, dad, your iPad's pinging at our house. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, I don't know where, but that's the address that's showing up. I'm like, how do you know? We're driving. We are 35 miles the opposite direction, driving on the freeway, and you're telling me my iPad is in our house. You know this. He's like, yeah, let me show you. So our friend who was out for the wedding was home, Jeff. And so we called Jeff, and we go, Jeff, my iPad's pinging at our house. Would you be able to find it? And Jackson goes, well, let me help you so he can. And he pushes this button, and this shrilling noise begins to emit from my iPad, which is awesome, because that's the only way you're going to find it. And Jeff was initially upstairs, couldn't find it. Then he hears a noise in the garage. He's like, oh, Todd, I hear something in the garage. So he walks out there, and he looks. He goes, I think it's inside this whole storage thing. I don't have no idea where it even ultimately was. But when he grabbed it, and he had it in his hand, and he said, Todd, I have your iPad. Now, I got to tell you, okay? These are the things going on in my head. I'm looking at my son as though he's a wizard, I'm going to hug and kiss Jeff when I get home. And then I'm thinking at this real time, what, what was more than a burden, but a sense of just loss was, had melted away. I told Jackson, I said, in that moment, once it was found, I said, Jackson, I know you asked me to be your best man. You're the best man. <laughs> Thank you, bro. And my day was just so different. Now, I'm talking about a small item that keeps my life in order, what happens when the hope of heaven is on the line? And you realize what you had been always looking for, always hoping, almost believing it's too big of a fairy tale that God could love you and create a way for you to be right with him. What happens when you come to know it's true? You experience joy infinitely more than I did over finding an iPad. And that's our hope for you today and why we're so glad you're here. Number two in our notes today, if you've turned your back on Jesus, look to him to restore you. If you've turned your back on Jesus, look to him to restore you. You know now you can turn your Bible there or if you wanna look at the screen, we're gonna jump to a couple other books. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, That's a key phrase we'll come back to. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
I want you to see why we chose this passage to look at today. It began with the phrase, after they were done eating. We couldn't talk about it today if there wasn't food involved. And, and here's what's happening earlier in the chapter. I, I kind of cut to the chase, but earlier in chapter 21 of John, it says that seven of the disciples were out on a boat. Four of them grew up as fishermen around the Sea of Galilee, where they're at now. They grew up there. That was their trade. That was the trade their fathers probably had and just simply taught them the family business. They're out in the boat, and they've been fishing all night. Nothing, not a single fish in the nets. But then there is a, 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 a stranger they don't know on the shore who calls out to them, hey, why don't you take your nets and throw them on the other side? Have you ever thought about that? People who say things like that, who have no business telling you what to do. Like, are you kidding me? We've done this all night long. Who are you? But they do it. And as the nets go out and as they begin to pull them back, John actually even gives the count of fish. Their nets were bursting to try to pull them back into the boat. And it's John, the beloved disciple, John, he says, it is the Lord. Now, the wild thing is, this same narrative, this same scene had actually happened before. Back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Same thing. Peter and John, Peter and Andrew, James and John, been out in their boats all night, nothing caught. And he calls out to them, hey, throw your nets on the other side. They had the same thought. Who are you to tell us where to fish? We do this. This is what we do. They throw the nets. The catch is so big, they can barely, between the two boats, bring them in. And it says that when they bring the boats in, Jesus says to them, you've been fishing for fish. I'm gonna call you to come with me and fish for people. And it says this powerful phrase, and it says they left everything and followed him. A lot had happened in three plus years. Luke 5 was the very beginning of the relationship. John 21, now the end before Jesus is going to ascend to the Father. But when you come back here and you look at this incredible, we would say that doesn't chance. That's a miracle that such would happen. And they knew it and that's why they dropped things to follow him. Over the last three and a half years, they had seen Jesus heal the sick. They'd seen him cast out demons. They had seen him raise the dead. And they'd heard him teach of a kingdom they had never fully understood. Even after hearing him teach, didn't understand. But in recent events, one of their own, one of the men in this boat, Simon Peter. Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, three times was asked by people around him, they, making this comment, hey, you're with that guy. This guy being accused, this guy who's, going to ultimately be crucified. You're with that guy. And three times he said, not only am I not with him, I don't even know him. I don't even know what you're talking about. And he was the one who was back in the boat. Here's my question to you today. It's in your notes and on the screen. This is what I want to draw your attention to. If they had seen the risen Jesus, if they had seen his ability to conquer death, why were they back in the boats? They had gone back to a life that was pre-Jesus, and now not only had they done three years with him, not only had they seen him crucified, but even later in John 21, it says this was the third time they'd seen the risen Jesus. They're convinced he's conquered death, but they're back in the boats. Why would you set aside being called to go change the world to go back to fish? That's the conversation that Jesus is having with him. 
Because my sense is that Peter felt like he had gone too far. Even though Jesus had appeared to him, Peter was convinced that denying he even knew Jesus three times was grounds for the fact that he won't want me. He won't invite me back into relationship. And I want you to see today how Jesus spoke to him. Jesus asked questions rather than lectures. Jesus hearkens Peter back on the issue of his love, not on his performance. And he asked Peter three times, in essence, the same question. Watch this, not to humiliate him. You know how that is sometimes when you have a problem with somebody else, and as you're trying to get right with each other, to reconcile, that it's, it's really hard sometimes to even talk about the issue, especially if you're a guy, right? Guys just kind of grunt and, mm, uh, we're good, okay, and we move on. Well, in this, the air was thick with this reality, and I don't believe at all that Jesus asked him three times the same question to shame him. I believe he said instead, I'm asking you these three times because I know what you did, and yet in light of that, I'm totally aware I have not given up on you, and I invite you back into a right relationship with me. You are welcome. The way that Peter would respond, by the way, is the same kind of response that might be true for you today. You may have followed Jesus earlier in your life, but for a host of reasons, you've turned your back on him. The Bible says that what we're called to, what you're called today is simply the word repent. And repent literally means to to turn around. If I had been walking this direction away from Jesus to repent is to turn back around and walk towards him. That's just the basic meaning of the word. And you might have walked away for a host of reasons. It might have been that there was a sequence of issues that happened in your life where God called you to trust him and you just wouldn't. You just said, I'm gonna hold on to this myself. I can't give it away to you. And you paid the price because it went infinitely worse than giving it over to him. Maybe it was an issue that you faced. You faced a fork in the road kind of decision. And the Bible was so clear about what you ought to do, but you did the other. And it wasn't just once. And you kind of go, God, I just, I can't come back. I, I chose my path and it wasn't you and I don't know how to get back. Or you're here and you go, you know what? I've just kind of been responding to God as though he's that kind of elderly uncle I'll talk to him when I get the chance, and you've just kind of put him on the shelf. For whatever reason you may have done that, Peter denied he knew him. You're here for a different reason, but either way, no. Jesus' response to you is the same it was to Peter. It's a simple question, do you love me? And if you do, there's a way to be made right. That is the power of the cross, that is the power of of the empty tomb. And today I would encourage you, don't leave this place before you understand, before you experience the forgiveness of God and begin to walk Jesus's way again. He invites you to come and eat with him that you might be restored to a right relationship. And I want you to hear clearly today, it's never too late. Today can be that day. Finally, number three, If you've responded to Jesus' invitation, I want to encourage you today. I want to let you know, get ready for the celebration. 
If you've responded to Jesus' invitation, get ready for the celebration. Revelation 19, beginning of verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, we've sung those same words today, just like we will in eternity. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Watch, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. It is hard for me to imagine, like there are certain scenes in the Bible that are, are relatable, that I can say, we use that phrase, I can get into their sandals. But apocalyptic literature, that of the book of Revelation and other places, is just so hard for me to wrap my mind around it. But we sang these words just a moment ago, this great song, Beautiful Name, has this line in the bridge, the heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again. Jesus, the spotless lamb, is in the center. Our attention, our focus is upon him. Just like it was Friday night. For those of you who joined us at our Good Friday service, that was our entire focus this year on the spotless lamb of God who willingly came to take away the sin of the world. We will be shouting, echoing, thundering praise for what Jesus has done for us as we are united to him forever. The bride, Jesus' church, it says, has made herself ready. I want you to make sure you hear this. She didn't engage in, quote, righteous acts in order to be acceptable to be wed. That was never the case. It wasn't, how can I clean myself up to be worthy to be wed to him? Jesus chose her. Jesus chose you no matter where you were, no matter what you were doing, no matter what defined you. Jesus reached out and invited you to him. And now out of that gratitude, now out of that relationship, we gladly say, God, we are readying ourselves. Jesus, even so come. We're ready to be united to you. I had to mention this passage today because our speaker, Eric Tonis, last week said I had to. If you were here, he mentioned, oh, and they're going to talk about the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm like, well, that's great. We should now. <laughs> Actually, it was all part of the plan. This meal of Jesus' followers that we are longing for to be wed to him, the celebration that will ensue for all eternity. I told you a minute ago, I've been a part of some great wedding festivities just a week ago. So this idea is fresh on my mind. First, when it comes to a great wedding, it always keeps coming back to food. Just like our series has been, more than a meal, there is great food. And you think about this idea, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. At our son's wedding last week, his wife's family put it on and did a great job. And they picked some great ideas, not your typical wedding fair. 
and uh, they hired uh, guys to make tacos, street tacos. And I remember being one of the first in line. I brought my plate over, and as I did, I had my three tortillas there. I'm ready to go. Three was the max, so why go small, right? So I had my three, and I remember them putting the, the meat on my plate, and I'm sitting there going, thank you, Jesus. I'm at the front of the line, because I'm thinking they're not going to have nearly enough for all these other people. They were loading my plate down, and I thought, this is great. What a true celebration. My kids would want to have a wedding cake. They had a very small one, but I tell you, they're a little bit out of the box. So the venue that they were at had a really great open fire pit, so they had all the makings for s'mores. And so people would go over, and they met at a camp. It was very fitting. And so they had s'mores. And then right next to the s'mores was one of the most ingenious inventions I've ever seen, simply called the donut wall. Yeah, it's this huge piece of wood with spokes sticking out and donuts just set on each one. It was a donut lover's heaven. It was so great. I just sat there and thought, this is genius as I took one to eat. So great food, there's no doubt that accompanies this reality. Second, the focus on the wedding is the union, the coming together of a husband and wife for their lifetimes. What's so great about this imagery related to us and Jesus, we are his and he is ours forevermore throughout all of eternity. There is a covenant that is being made, that has been made. What did Jesus say? This blood represents the covenant, my new covenant with you. Now this is the the time of the realization of that covenant. The high point of the wedding, anyone who was at Jackson and Skye's wedding would have said it was when they shared their vows. Pastor Jack led the service, but for that part, they had written their vows to each other beforehand, and they took out these sheets of paper and through tears, tears of joy would just share a heartbeat that was so authentic. Everyone I would talk to later on would say, you could totally tell this was their own voices, not just the reading, but the writing. This was their heartbeat they wanted to communicate to the other, and it was so powerful. The third thing that every great wedding has is great dancing. Great dancing of joy because of what has happened and what ensues. And dance I did. Take a look. Now, a couple of reasons why I show that to you. Thank you, Kendallin. Kendi shot that on her phone. And among others, that's been uploaded on social media already. So I thought I would try to get a little ahead of it and rather than wait. I've learned that a long time ago. Make fun of yourself before others can. You're welcome. But the other reason I want to show it to you, I have moves. If you want me to come to your wedding, I will show everyone else how to dance. It'll be great. I will tell you, it was just such a great, joy-filled scene. All these people on the dance floor just absolutely enjoying themselves, and it's so very appropriate. You see, this, this wedding supper of the Lamb, this, this union to Jesus forever is the meal you have been waiting your whole life for. It is the one worth expecting, worth anticipating. 
And for those who have this confidence of placing their faith, it's not confidence in us. It's all confidence in him. What he's done for us and trusting our lives and our eternity with him. For those that understand Jesus to be our savior, like the first song today, our rescuer, then you only have one thing to do in the meantime. Ready yourself. Ready yourself as a bride prepares for her groom. This passage called it the righteous acts of God's holy people. In your notes, prioritize Jesus's priorities. That's all that means. Prioritize Jesus's priorities and live out his great commandment of loving God and loving people and live out his great commission of making disciples of all the nations. And check it out on the screen. To simplify, what are we saying? It means to live a life that is rooted in reaching. That is the essence of Trinity Church's mission is simply to live a life rooted in Jesus reaching our worlds, to live a life that is all about loving God, loving people, and making disciples of the nations. Jesus' great commandment, Jesus' great commission, we want to major on the majors. And here's the great news. You have people in your relational world who fit all three of these groups we've talked about today. Some who are genuinely seeking some who are wondering if this thing is too good to be true or not. Others in your relational world who have walked away from Jesus don't think there's a way back to him. And others who are just as excited as you, leaning forward, looking to the day when we're united with Jesus forever. So in light of that reality, as we reach into our relational worlds, let's be a people this week who are living as Jesus's ambassadors in our relational worlds encouraging others to take that next step in knowing him as well. We began with the now what idea, we finish it with it today as well. Because Jesus conquered death, he has a meal waiting for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, a people who are so filled with joy. There are a lot of things going on in our lives, but the one thing you keep centering us back to today is that because you live, everything has changed. Because you live, we really do have hope. Because you live, we know we really have the assurance of no matter what we face in life, no matter how hard it gets, you have conquered death. You are who we're living for. You are who we can't wait to be with forever. And so out of this truth that comes from your resurrection, we, God, today want to live in that power. We want to live in that truth moving forward. And we are so very grateful for what you've done for us. You may be here today and you would say, Todd, I, I don't have that story. That isn't really my response to today. I have yet to trust Jesus for my life. I haven't put my faith in him. But you'd also say today that you're ready. You're just waiting for someone to ask you, someone to invite you. So can I make that crystal clear today? You are welcome. You are invited to respond to this love, this love that went to a cross willingly. 2 Corinthians 5, he who had no sin became sin. And Jesus didn't stay dead but he rose on the third day and he did it for you. You can respond to this good news today by A, admitting 
admitting that you've lived life on your terms, not on God's. The Bible calls that sin. And when you admit that truth, you admit what every single human being who's ever walked the face of the earth aside from Jesus would have to say. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Be as believe. Believe that Jesus, this Jesus we've talked about, who lived a sinless life, who died a sacrificial death, who was raised supernaturally on the third day, believe that he is the only savior available. See is choose. Choose today to say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna walk my life following you here and all the way to heaven. That's the decision that lays before you. You are invited today. You are welcomed in this place. And my encouragement to you, don't leave here before you have made that decision to follow him. Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful for you being the risen lamb of God. Thank you so much for changing our everything. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.